You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perks. Uh, we took a little bit of a break there in between for a week and uh, been busy traveling, lots of fun times. And I can see spring coming up, Gary. I don't know about your end, but, you know, there hasn't been much snow here in New Jersey. So I, I thought spring was here yesterday. It was uh, 70 degrees, and then I woke up to four inches of snow this morning. So <laughs> spring and uh, winter and spring in Denver. Oh, no. All right. I know parts of the country have been pummeled with a lot of uh, rain and snow. Hopefully, you know, New Jersey, we're about done and getting started with spring. But the exciting thing here is not the weather. It's our guests. And uh, we have a guest all the way from Texas. And uh, I'm going to let Galen introduce himself. But he is uh, uh, one of the pioneers. He's, he's been around on the block a few times working with grocery retail uh, uh, in, in depth. With some clients you've had for like 20 plus years, right? Yeah, 20, and so I, I think 27. I think we're going to have a great conversation because we're going to see, I think, touch upon the evolution of the entire industry, how it's come along. I think it'd be fun to talk about that. So, but without any further ado, here is Mr. Galen Walters. Welcome, Galen, to the Retail Perch. Thank you, Shaker. Thank you, Gary. What a pleasure. My goodness. I've watched enough of your episodes. I never thought I would be sitting here. So uh, it's a real honor to be invited. Thank you very much. Um, especially in light of where we are in the industry and transition we're all making right now from analog to digital. Obviously, we're getting very close to this, seeing the fruition of everything we've all dreamed about come to pass and uh, frictionless becoming greater and greater uh, as we speak today. So let me go back. I'll just introduce myself real briefly, if that's okay. I um, Started uh, in the grocery stores when I was 15, sacking groceries, and thought that would be a very short-term uh, retail experience, and ended up working through retail during college and uh, art school, became an illustrator, came out of art school and went into the stores temporarily and uh, was on a grand opening program where we were going around opening stores and got a, got a phone call and invited over to apply for an advertising job inside Safeway. And uh, went over and interviewed and took the job. Uh, they offered it to me immediately. I took it. And seven years later, I left Safeway's advertising department uh, as an advertising supervisor and, and uh, really realized during that period of time that I loved retail and just got completely addicted to it. I love the pace and the velocity of retail. So I left in 1980, uh, August of 80, and went and joined the Houston Fire Department, became a pipe and ladderman on a fire truck. So I could start up my business because I needed health insurance. And I had a three-year-old child and wow. my wife wouldn't let me be an entrepreneur unless I had some health insurance. So the fire department offered me that and I only had to work nine days a month and I learned a lot. But uh, so I was only in the fire station about a year. I went in in January of 1981, opened the office February the 7th of 81. And uh, we did a million dollars in retail work the first year uh, while I was still in the fire department. Uh, and then 3.3 the second year, then 9, 17, 21, 27, 36, chapter 11. Uh, 
That was quick. <laughs> I've ridden I've ridden the curve of, of digital. Uh, actually, we started off with uh, in 1981 with analog photography studios. I, what I did, I really started looking at all the seven different services that retailers were using at that time mechanically, and I brought them all under one roof and called it Adplex. So we we brought them in and started Adplex and uh, ran it for 22 years. Uh, very successful, sold it off to private equity 22 years in. I stayed five years and ran it. So I was there 27 years. But uh, wow. during that time, we really did live the analog to digital transformation in, in a bleeding way, I'll call it. Uh, that was back when we had Cytex and Camex systems. We were the first people to ever integrate digitally Camex into Cytex, which was color at that time, all all uh, stored on on tape, and mm. uh, we were the second largest Cytex system next to the Chicago Tribune. Wow. So we were a very large Israeli-based Cytex system and uh, hardwired Cytex and Camex together and created some of the very first digital pages uh, that were created for grocery stores and digitized photography for some of the very first times. Um, ended up with our own color separation studios, photography studios, printing plants, uh, graphic designers, uh, typesetting, all the, all that gear that we used to have back then that's now available on your phone, on Canva, <laughs> for free. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember building the first uh, digital asset management system. Uh, I spent a million bucks building it, and Apple came out with a little uh, Mac, and my million-dollar investment was vaporized in about 30 minutes. <laughs> my first 128K Macintosh. So right. I realized I had made a uh, an error in judgment on how long it would take for everybody to digitize images. And uh, so we, we've learned with the best of them, spent enormous amount of money over the course of years uh, working through digital transformation, stayed in the printing industry until I thought that the circular business was dying. Uh, we had seven printing plants and uh, around the country, about 14 trucks that we delivered everything. We, we controlled everything from the moment that it was digital to the to the moment that the truck unloaded the copy at the newspaper or direct mail or advo where it was going at that time. So we had a pretty interesting model. Treasure chest and us were, you know, pounding each other every day. We were the small guys, they were the big guys, but we had a lot of fun competing against them. It was a, it was a wonderful thrill, but um, I left there in, in 2007 and started up a consultancy called Go Think. And, uh, did not want to be back in the production business at all, but shortly after opening it in 2008, went back in the ad production side of the world again, back in digital. And uh, then in 2011, was asked to recreate a product that uh, we had called Virtual Store for Del Hayes with Hannaford Brothers, Foodline, and United was running our virtual store product that we created at Adplex. I left with a non-compete from Adplex, you know, when my time was up there after serving five years after private equity bought it. And, uh, but they had sold it off or given it away to my web grocer. They didn't see the value in it. The private equity guys did not see the value in the product, which blows my mind still today. They loved hard assets. So they wanted printing plants, which were uh -huh. dying. So we ended up uh, recreating virtual store, called it Relation Shop uh, as a product and did that for United Supermarkets and then, then uh, sold it to Big Y. And uh, so those two retailers, became kind of the, the foundation for what we're doing today and not kind of, they did become the foundation. And so all the work we do today really came out of the learnings of those two customers. And uh, Harry Kimball over, it just retired at Big Y 
uh, you know, Harry's, uh, he has pushed us so hard over the years. I, I have to hand it to him. We're, we're, we're better company because of Harry Kimball and my hat's off to you, Harry. If you ever see this, enjoy retirement. You deserve it. But we ended up, you know, in 2019, buying our development company uh, that we were partners with over in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. And uh, we had nine developers when we bought it in 19. Today, we have 42 uh, developers there. We have, we're in the middle of the finalizing the acquisition of store.ai out of Israel. And uh, that will double the size of our company, double the number of employees at a development team in Macedonia of 18 people, seven, 17 or 18 people, and then a team of developers and engineers in Israel and Tel Aviv. So ending up with a uh, interesting, uh, interesting model. Uh, we, we are very excited about the space right now. It's, it's a space that's going through enormous turmoil and uh, everybody's a little bit paranoid about digital transformation and and some have already made the leap into many different widgets and a lot of junk you know, bolted together. And so what I'm trying to do is to solve that problem by building an enterprise platform that people do not have, you know, they don't have all the finger pointing going on. We've been in the shopper engagement business now since 2011. Uh, and we have always handed off to the cart, you know, to the commerce side and handed off to the, to the fulfillment side and uh, just done the, engagement side very deep and we're, we're getting deeper and deeper every year over on the personalization side yeah. Jake, kind of I mean you you and I bump into each other a little bit there yeah. uh, and, and uh, great great competitors but uh, we uh, you know we, we see we see huge opportunity in solving the the fragmentation problem in the industry right now both from the standpoint of number of vendors all of us are small relatively speaking when you look at retail, this space is a fairly small space in the number of vendors and also in the size of the revenue of the vendors. So uh, someone needs to clean it up and, and bring it together. And so, you know, I'm 69, I chose to, I have a lot of energy and have no intent of retiring. I hope to die in someone's office someday. So, uh, uh, you know, that's a, that's a bad joke. Uh, I hope <laughs> I never die in somebody's <laughs> office, but I probably will probably blow up from a heart attack. But, you know, I, uh, I do see that that we are on the precipice of something really unique. Uh, and, and we've done a lot of kicking the tires on competition and looking at everything. We hired an investment banking firm a year ago and we've done an enormous amount of work looking at the market, trying to understand the landscape, looking at opportunities, looking forward, uh, you know, around the curve. Uh, I don't believe that just, you know, commerce and, and fulfillment and engagement is gonna be enough to uh, whet the appetite of where the consumer's headed. So I think we have a lot of work to do on the healthcare side, Gary. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about that and we're doing a lot of work in that space. Uh, I'm on the board of a company in California called Previon that uh, is a wonderful uh, company that does kidding and, and works a lot with Kaiser and MedImpact and those kinds of companies. So having uh, uh, that background of, uh, since 2007 on that board, digging deep into the healthcare space on that side, uh, seeing where they're headed, seeing where groceries headed. There, there is a, there, there's an intersection here coming to where health and grocery and food is medicine, that whole, that whole thing Sifter is dealing with and a lot of these companies. Uh, I think, I think we're, we're poised to take advantage of that in a very unique way. So I'll shut up. That's, that's, that's us. I thought but, I was on, uh, for a minute, I thought I was in your podcast. <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> well, it can be if you'd like to hand it off. No, it no, no, it was so much fun listening to that. No, I mean, really, you know, your your background, your history, and knowledge of this industry is probably pretty unique. You know, I've uh, enjoyed speaking probably. with you on many, many occasions. But I think what I wanted to see, uh, given your history, is to maybe discuss a little bit about, you know, what are some of the ch big change shifts you've seen cool. from digital transformation perspective? And then where do you think the challenge is for the retailers? I mean, a lot of the people who are listening to this are probably, you know, supermarket grocers, and they're thinking about technology and how to, you know, I go to a show and I see 400 solutions. How does a retailer go and make a decision on what's the right thing to be put together, right? And, and I'd love to see what your thoughts are on how somebody should be approaching that decision. So that might help a lot of our listeners here. Wow, what a loaded question. You've set me up there, Shaker, sorry. You know, I walked through the NGA show several weeks ago and uh, marveled. I took a lot of pictures walking around, just looking at the, the, the breadth of, of uh, vendor options and offers. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a retailer trying to make the decision on what I should be doing because it is very confusing. Uh, and and I, I know Gary's done a really remarkable job trying to simplify uh, direction for retailers so they, they can, can make good choices with his cart uh, company. And uh, my hat's off for that because it is a very confusing, uh, you know, amount of technology to look at. I think from, from my perspective, creating less vendor integration and POS integration is nothing but good. Uh, the, the more POS integration you do and the more API calls you're making and the more vendor integration you're making, you're creating enormous complexity for your IT departments to try to manage. Uh, the more apps you plug in, the more all this noise you, as, as one retailer here in Texas told me, we've spent $3 million in bright, shiny objects, and we just turned it all off. He said, we just couldn't, we just couldn't manage it in IT. So I think, I think one of the big mistakes has been, well, I say mistake, it's not really a mistake. It's what kind of had to happen along the way. People had to cobble together their solution. And what we're trying to do, I think, is bring together an integrated platform that that creates an intelligent data platform for the retailer to work with and provides them back actionable dashboards to where they can automate you know use automated programs top shopper law shopper category void shopper proximity shopper programs and and automated loyalty you know embedded into the system so so we're trying to remove all of these throats to choke trying to figure out who's to blame for things not, not functioning well. And the friction we have in the system today is creating some very cumbersome experiences for the shopper. So when, when you've got shoppers that are waiting for apps to load and waiting for content to load and the images are too large or whatever's, you know, whatever's created those problems or the API calls are going, bouncing four times to different data sets, trying to pick up content, you know, you're doing it in milliseconds, but yet by the time you get the delivery, you're a couple seconds out and, and, I'm sorry, the shoppers just don't have the patience now. So, right. you know, they want they want instantaneous results. And if you take five or six seconds to deliver a piece of content, you're dead. So, you know, I think I think the pressure's on for the retailer to try to remove the integration obstacles and the API obstacles and the POS obstacles. So 
that's what we're trying to solve. Yeah, I, and, and I'd agree with that. You know, I, I think the vast majority of retailers of all sizes have been dragged kicking and screaming into the digital world over the years. And, you know, every painful step of that, you know, this solution, a website, email, you know, an app, now e-commerce and other things. And, you know, to your point, they've cobbled all these things together. And it makes for a mess. Uh, it makes for a lot of vendors they have to uh, manage. It makes for a lot of overlap that I've seen in, in solution providers, uh, you know, doing the same thing. So the retailer is paying effectively double or triple. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the problem you're trying to solve is one I think is really important for retailers and most still don't get this you know, that they're competing in a world today that is really driven by user experience. And, you know, competition today is not just the store down the street. Yeah. It's Amazon, it's Kroger, yeah. it's Walmart. You've got companies investing hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in technology, creating these seamless experiences. And, you know, uh, most supermarket retailers have got a long way to go. Yeah. And not a long time to get there. Yeah, that, that's the problem. I think we're running out of rope a little bit uh, right now. Uh, I believe we've got a couple couple years window open right now, and that's that's going to close very quickly. You know, I, I, when you said that, Gary, I went back to uh, Glenn Turbeek, nineteen ninety nine, the Agentry Agenda. You remember that? Yep. You remember that book? I sure and, do. And he said something in that book that has never gotten away from me. He talked about false economics, and and I think I think we've gotten high centered a little bit on on um, you know finding a cheap way to get digital I guess is the right right way to put it and really what this is all about is is shoppers in the store and baskets so if you can get shoppers in the store and you can bring in new customer acquisition retention expansion basically if you can get a new shopper in the store if you can get them to buy and then get them to expand the basket that's all the retailer wants us to do at the end of the day, that's really what they're wanting us to do. Now, the problem is we get all high centered up on all this other stuff that we're doing and, and all the bright, shiny objects that we're creating. And we think that's important to the retailer. What's important to the retailer is not the same thing that's important to the shopper. Right. Uh, you know, so I believe what we're, what we all get high centered and focused on the shopper. But the reality is if I can't solve the retailer problem and that's bringing in new customers, filling up the basket and adding dollars to that basket, if I can't do those three things, I should be shot. And I want to be measured on the success of that. So, so sign me up. I mean, I, I, I am not afraid of being held accountable to drive new sales and to drive customers in the store and to drive basket growth. Now, most of my competitors wouldn't even know what to talk about. I mean, they're, they're so high centered on technology and, yeah. and, and I get it. I mean, I understand where they come from. Most of my competitors are technologists. They didn't sack groceries. They haven't checked. Yeah. You know, they, right. did, they didn't run a suite or register. In, in their so, childhood, you know, great point. So, so going back to the digital engagement. So, if somebody were to come to you and say, "Hey, I got, I got uh, twenty-five stores, and I know kind of behind in the digital game. What is a good digital engagement strategy? I mean, what what should be some of the key pieces that should exist? Well, I mean, I, obviously, I think the shopper engagement elements first before you ever get into commerce. Uh, I think you've got to build out a, a strong shopper engagement platform uh, and it needs to be a platform. It doesn't need to be a widget. 
uh, you've got to be able to use that data across the platform completely. And that's, I think, uh, one of the fallacies of some of the products that are out there today. And then, then secondly is a good commerce program, obviously, if, if your shoppers are that type shopper, if you're in a dense enough area that it works. I mean, I think you do need to be in a fairly dense area for delivery to work. Uh, I think we need to look very closely at those options that are available there, pick up at the curb or delivery. Uh, the United States is a lot more pick up at the curb. Our shoppers in Israel are almost 100% delivery, but you're talking about a completely different density in the marketplace. Right. So I think, I think you really have to analyze your space. You have to analyze your demographic. You need to understand the, the density that you have and then make the best decision you can with a good strategic partner to figure out what's the right path. The problem, they're afraid to use us as a strategic partner because we're selling stuff. Uh, you know, we probably know more about the, the space than most people, but the reality is nobody wants to bring me in as a consultant because they know that at the end of the day, I'm probably going to try to sell them a widget. And that's, that's unfortunate because where I started in this business was to be a consultant to retail and to help them make the right decisions. Unfortunately, I guess, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I, I ended up dragging myself into the technology and now into the platform. So uh, I'll shut up. But that's so. So, in terms of presence, where you know, so if I'm a 20 store chain, does it make sense for me to have an app? I mean, how do I make these? How do you think retailers should be thinking about their shopper engagement technologies? I mean, you got mobile first, okay? Mobile first. Uh, I mean, it's just hands down. I mean, we're, we're just not, I mean, we're already 70% of the shoppers walking through your stores looking at their phone while they're in there. They're either texting somebody or doing something on their phone. They got their phone in their hand tip. I mean, walk through a store and look. I did it yesterday at HEB here near my house. And almost everybody in the store had their phone in their hand. Uh, you know, somebody's doing something on the phone all the time. If you can get them to engage digitally with you, we, we have shown and proved that the digital shopper engagement, the, the, the digitally engaged shopper is worth a whole lot more than, than the analog shopper. So yeah. I believe that uh, the, the, the effort should be mobile first. Obviously you need a website. You gotta have a great website. It should be fully integrated between web and mobile. But for those shoppers that don't wanna use a mobile phone, they need to be able to access you digitally. So a digital, a good solid digital platform that has a mobile app, I think is absolutely paramount. Yeah, and, and then the e-commerce piece woven tightly into both of yes. those, right? Yes. Because I, I I think a lot of retailers continue to look at, you know, I've got my brick and mortar store and then I've got my, you know, e-commerce, my online. It's not a, yeah, it's not an either or today. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's all being blended together. No, I agree completely. I mean, Gary, we're doing, you can decorate a cake on a mobile phone with us right now. I mean, you, you can, you can load up a pizza, you can order a pizza ahead, you can shop, you can, you can check out on your mobile device, go pick it up at the store. You know, I mean, that's where this is headed. I mean, it's about the convenience of the shopper, obviously, but at the same time, it's about the mobile experience mirroring the in-store experience. Yeah. You don't have two different environments here. You got one environment. You just got a shopper that's very digitally savvy now and getting more digitally savvy every minute. Uh, and these younger kids coming up are going to smoke these guys that aren't, they won't shop at places that don't have digital environments, I'm afraid, in the future. So, so Galen, one of the things I hear on a somewhat regular basis as I talk to retailers across the country is, you know, different demographic groups of shoppers or, you know, based on where that retailer is located, if they're in more rural areas, you know, versus more metro areas, uh, you know, it, it almost shocks me sometimes to talk to 
you know, retailers, regional retailers, well, my shopper base just isn't, you know, mobile savvy. They don't use technology or whatever. Yeah, I hear whatever. Do you do you encounter that? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I would argue strongly that that's a mistake because I have one retailer that is both in Lubbock, Texas, and also and, and they're all over the rural northwest Texas, uh, the panhandle of Texas and little bitty towns. Uh, I mean, they're also in Dallas, Texas, right in the heart of Frisco and some of these with, with these big Market Street stores. So you've got very high density at Market Street in, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. And then you've got these tiny rural towns with with a lot of Hispanic population out there. Well, guess what the Hispanics are? 100 percent mobile. Yeah. I mean, if you if you ignore that shopper, it, it's at your own peril. I, I believe that's that's not if but when we've got a real problem with that. But I do believe that there are shoppers, there are segments. I get it completely that just don't use a mobile phone. They're still on flip phones. They're in the back of, you know, somewhere in the backwoods somewhere. I get that they're not going to be your digital shopper. But those that are, you have to cater to them. Yeah. Or they'll go where they can shop digitally. Yeah. So really, that's you need the ability to reach your, you know, omni-channel approach, right? So it's just. Any which way the shopper chooses to connect with the store, you need to be able to have a presence. Whenever and wherever the shopper wants to shop, you got to be ready right. for them. Right. And however. Yeah. And I guess something, you know, I'd ask of, of both of you guys is, you know, to me, digital implies relevancy, implies personalization, implies make it all about me, Right. I mean, Shaker, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, what, what are you seeing in that space? Do you agree with that? 100%. I think there's no going back. I think the minute you go digital, I think you're uh, across the board, whether you're turning on your TV or opening up your email, personalization is everywhere because I think the volume of content we have, the only way you can possibly consume anything reasonable is if it's personalized. And I think that's the number one reason, right? So, which is totally agree. content is everywhere and we're overloaded with it. And without any kind of intelligence trying to filter out things that are important to us, our news is personalized. You open up a news app, it's personalized, right? Open right. up your TV, your shows are yeah. personalized. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So I, I know I don't, I think uh, it's an expectation at this point, right? So I, I would add one thing to that. I think we've got to be very careful with, with opt-out and we've got to deal specifically with opt-in. Uh, you know, for, for, for the fear of those people on privacy and yeah, we're, I, you know what, guys, the amount of data we're able to collect now, look at the behavior on the digital works, you know, when people are on websites and mobile apps and how they're, how they're performing and we're capturing all that stuff, all of us do. The reality right. is it's, it's, it's a privacy infringement if you don't get opt-in. Uh, so I believe if a shopper opts in, we got to give them back value for that pleasure of having their data. And I think that's that's our responsibility to use that uh, responsibly uh, and also to allow them to understand how we're using that data. Uh, and, and when we do, I think we'll have a great shopper that's engaged with us. And I think the company will do very well because we're going to be able to offer them more personalized deals and get better offers from CPGs and private label to, to make sure that their basket's the, the optimal budget. Right, right. I think the other uh, thing that I see here, Gail, and you probably noticed it, is that a lot of retailers, uh, their IT departments are operationally 
focused, right? So they're about keeping the POS running, keeping the lights on, making sure supply chain is working. I mean, so much of their energy is going into that. And I find a lot of marketing departments struggle with resources, technology resources to do what they need to do, especially if you're kind of like a small or middle tier company, right? And so when you've gone across and spoken to retailers, what, what are some of the pain points that they express from, man, I don't have the tools that I need to, to engage them. I want to, but I don't have the tools. And it's almost impossible for them to build it internally, right? Boy, howdy, what a, what a, what a loaded question there, Shaker. The, you, you and I both know that the IT departments are stretched. Their number one responsibility is POS. If they miss POS, they're not running. If they missed a digital app, they've got some upset shoppers and a marketing department screaming at them. Uh, so they're going to be focused on POS, and that is their primary objective. And I understand it completely. I do believe that, that it is imperative that we do everything we can to make the marketing department succeed with IT. So our job, I feel like, is kind of being the bridge between marketing and IT and making certain that we're having productive conversations with IT around, you know, speed, around, you know, the, the, the milliseconds and all the things that marketing, they see on the mobile app, but they probably don't understand technically. We've got to engage with IT to make sure that we can help marketing be successful. Because marketing is going to fail if their app doesn't work, if their content's not good, if it doesn't, you know, if you've got missing pictures every day on every every screen you open, uh, that may not be my responsibility. But I better care. I mean, I go look at my customers' apps. If I'm seeing a picture that says, you know, some kind of out of stock or out of, you know, you know, the little replacement image not found <laughs> image not found things, it makes me completely nuts because I know as a shopper, I'm gone. Image not found, I'm gone. And yet I see apps with, you know, 20%, 30% image not found, you know, in some of these apps. And, and you just wonder, you know, who is sitting on the technology side saying, hey, this isn't acceptable. How do we help you solve this problem? And that's where we need to come into play, I think, is to own more of the accountability and responsibility with a retailer to make sure their digital experience is, is right, you know, and, and is and is consumer friendly. And that depends a lot on the content. And that's a nightmare for us. I mean, right. because we're not typically providing the images they are coming from multiple sources, as you well know. Right, right. Including mobile phones from a, bar a marketing employee. Right. And, and you know, that, that's, a, that's a whole other can of worms, the standardization of data and retail. And we know the high levels of sta high standards that retail is being held to in terms of data. We probably quality. should stop talking about it. <laughs> 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 Probably yeah. get us both shot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, but I, I think, you know, so much of what, you know, and, and, and the, the conversation the last couple of weeks has probably been chat GPT, chat GPT everywhere, yeah. right? And, I, and, I, and, you know, a couple of days ago, I saw this demo and I was telling Gary about it, of chat GPT-4, um, and which is at 10x better than what we have now. Uh, so... When, and, and I keep getting asked these questions about how do you think this is going to change customer oh, interaction with retail? What Every do you way. Think? <laughs> Every yeah, way. I, you know, I think I think things like recipes, uh, you know, content, uh, consumer facing content that's coming from other sources. I mean, people are just going to ask Chat GPT and and get 
all the content they need. Now, when it gets down to health and nutrition, I think we're going to run into some issues there. You may get some false information or some information that's not accurate and get somebody in trouble from a liability perspective. Right. Yeah, I worry about some of those areas. If if we start, the problem with we consumers is we put 100% confidence in this junk and some of it will get you in trouble, especially when you start dealing with your health. So I think that the retailer's got to put a stake in the ground around health and not depend on too much public, you know, uh, public generated data, I'll call it, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it. But uh, some of this, some of this is going, I think it's going to change everything we're doing. It's going to change customer service. It's going to change service in the store. It's going to change, you know, recipes. It's going to change, you know, uh, dietary plans. It's going to change all this stuff that we just right now grind through. Uh, it will automate most of it. Yeah. And then frankly, it's going to essentially converse with your customer, uh, yes. right? So, so yes. there is a, a level of fluidity in the in how you communicate, right? Today, you have to be very careful when you, when you run a search, if what you're searching for, what you type in is not properly thought about, you're yeah. not going to get the right results, right? That's right. Now you have a system which can uh, literally interpret natural language and get to the heart of what you're looking for. Uh, and construct it in a fashion. Uh, like I, I was on, on it yesterday and I, and I asked uh, it for, what's your opinion about a certain restaurant in my local town? And it promptly gave me an opinion. He said, you know, ChatGPT said, it scores 4.2 out of five on Yelp and 4.3 out of five on Google. But there are several people who are complaining about slow service and occasional lack of <laughs> quality. You know, it, it gave me this whole thing. I was like, yeah. wow. I mean, wow. I know this it would take me 20 minutes to go to Yelp, read the reviews there, go to Google, read the reviews. This thing just summarized everything. So the ability to distill information in a, fa in a fashion that's useful to, uh, as opposed to search, because search gives you a list of 100 products. Right. It's not helping me. That's you know? right. Yeah, I think the I think it's that's pretty amazing, and I I see, you know, I see visual aids, you know, because now you can they can actually describe a scene. Yeah. So you know, Apple Crazy. comes out of your glasses, you know, it's able to look, connect, and display. I think it's going to be pretty exciting in terms of how it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, I I think as you were talking, Chick, the other dimension of this that I think is becoming more important for retailers is this notion of more and more things becoming uh, real time, you know, and absolutely real time in regard to interaction with the shopper, right? So, you, you know, I'm in aisle three right now, it's 11.15 in the morning, you know, what should I have for lunch? Correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. The omnivore's dilemma. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, five years ago, I registered a, a, a URL called uh, Search Shop because I saw we were headed towards an environment where people won't even open an app. You know, th they'll type in an item and we've got to be able to serve that. Uh, and so I, I believe that's kind of where we're headed here. I, I think search, uh, a search window chat or whatever it's going to be. Uh, will be driving most of these technologies in the future. We're trying to figure it out right now. I mean, we're already looking at it, trying to figure out, okay, how do we how do we interface with this technology? Because I believe it's going to change the way the shopper even thinks about shopping. My 13-year-old wrote a paper last week on on chat, you know, and and I'm like, no, you, you can't. I mean, you didn't write that. You know, stop, stop, pull up. 
You know, no, you can't use that. No, you can't take that to school. Oh, Papa G, look at this, man. It's incredible. I could have never written it. I know that's right. You could have never written that. You can't use it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's what people talked about calculator 30 years ago. Oh, you know, if you start using calculators, you're going to forget how to do basic math. (laughs) You know, know, or or a typewriter, right? That's right. Like you, you, you can't, you have to be writing with your hand. You can't possibly type this. You can't use, but I and think most of us can't write now long-handed. I mean, yeah, no, I know it. Got horrible. Yeah. You know what? But I think machines come in and there are new jobs and new industries that get created because yeah. people are scared of, of course, it's very threatening to think that, oh my God, this, this is going to take away my job or make me redundant, which it likely will. But then there are going to be whole new opportunities that come in. Oh yeah. Anyway, listen, this, this has been this has been fun. Like I said, I knew the time was going to fly by. Um, yep. We probably need to get get you into two more episodes to do it. Kind of Just do it. <laughs> Great conversation. I love talking to you guys. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, there's so much happening, guys. That right. that uh, I mean, we, we could continue to flesh out a couple of these these concepts, but uh, I think that you guys are doing a great service to the industry. I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Well, thank you for being a guest on the retail oh, first. Thanks for being Gary, with us. Yeah, enjoyed it immensely. Close out, Gary. Uh, no, no uh, Galen, great to uh, have you with us today. Uh, love uh, uh, hearing, learning about some of your different experiences and and so on. And you know, I, I think we're all seeing many of the same things out there, right? The re- yes, challenges sir. the retailers are facing. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, future. Yeah. Thank yeah. you again. Thank you for being on your. Definitely one of the uh, stalwarts and pioneers in this industry. So excited that you got, you agreed to join us on the show. Yeah, so anytime. Finally, finally. Enjoyed it. All right, guys. Th- thanks so much for your support. And I want to thank the production team, Stephanie, and uh, actually my daughter, Mihika, who also helped edit this. So they, they do a great job. And we're getting into three figures here in terms of episodes here. Can you believe it? Wow. Soon. So it's been, been fun, of course, having my amazing co-host, Gary, here. Always great chatting with you guys, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.